Thank you, David, for reading Exodus chapter 5 for us. Good morning and welcome once again to the Family Bible Hour. Six pages. Six pages. That's how many times I started my introduction to our message for this morning. I'm the old-fashioned preacher who still writes out all his messages with pen and paper, scratching out unacceptable phraseology, then inserting a more preferred polished phrase, and finally ripping out the whole page because it looks too messy to read from. Many of our younger brethren who preach use their computers to produce beautifully finished and very legible sermons. They whiz from one key to another, performing all sorts of miraculous feats on those newfangled gadgets that make my head spin. How they can type so quickly and so accurately amazes me. I, on the other hand, attempted several times before to do mine on a computer. And just as I was able to pick up some speed and become quite proud of my progress, wham, I accidentally pressed an unknown key, and my entire message disappeared from the screen. You can imagine the horror I faced as I was almost at the end of my sermon to have this happen. I frantically pressed key after key, trying to retrieve my masterpiece, but only succeeded to make things worse. And since my son David, who is my dependable tech support, was at work and unable to comfort me and help salvage my lost message, I decided there and then that I would never again be held hostage by that insufferable piece of technology. So I determined that I would continue to be old-fashioned and churn out old-fashioned messages in the old-fashioned way. After all, isn't there a song that goes something like, give me that old time religion? So there you go. I finished my introduction. Now, if you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to the main text for this morning, Exodus 5, verses 1 to 23. But as always, before we begin, let's ask the Lord for his guidance. Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning to open thy word, and we trust that the Spirit of God will be able to and be pleased to enlighten our understanding as to the text before us this morning. Help us to see and understand what our responsibilities are to thee, and to be grateful for all that thou hast done in our stead. For we ask it all in thy Son's name and for his glory. Amen. In the previous message on Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 31, we left off with Moses and Aaron in Egypt gathered together with all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron, we are told, spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. 
And as the fifth chapter of Exodus begins, we see Moses and Aaron going in to see the Pharaoh. And without beating around the bush, they present the purpose of their visit very directly to him and very clearly. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. The Pharaoh then replies with perhaps the most rebellious statement ever recorded for us coming out of the mouth of a heathen. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Please notice three very important things here in these opening verses. First, Moses identifies the Lord as the Lord God of Israel. This is the very first time that this expression or identification is used in Scripture. The Lord God of Israel. He is their God and they are his people. There can be no greater honor or joy than to be owned by the God of this universe as his people. For with that title and acknowledgement comes an intimate knowledge and relationship, and a spiritual as well as a material inheritance. It too speaks of divine favor and protection for the people whom God has called his own. For we read in Malachi 3, 16 to 17, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son, that serveth him. Secondly, if they are God's people, then they are not to be despised, debased, and disgraced by constantly being trampled upon and their dignity as human beings denied. For God is also a God of vengeance and a God of justice, who, though he may be long-suffering, will nonetheless meet out the due punishment sooner or later. And thirdly, there is a no more despicable nor vile person on the face of this earth than the one who scornfully and defiantly spews forth malicious contempt for the God who created all men in the image and likeness of himself. Ignorance and contempt for God are at the root and bottom of all the evil and wickedness which exists in the world today. Men who do not know the Lord can never be expected to do good to one's fellow man nor to ever understand the concept of kindness. Theirs is the rule of greed and corruption and suffering inflicted upon the defenseless. They can only be dealt with by divine retribution. But Moses and Aaron, having expected resistance from the Pharaoh, are not deterred, as we see in verse 3. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. 
Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And yet we need to notice their humility and modesty in continuing their case, that is Moses and Aaron. They do not bring before the king his unjust treatment of their people or the rigor in which they have been enslaved, but rather they reasonably entreat him for a short vacation, so to speak, a three days journey into the desert so that they may perform their sacrifices unto their God. After all, the Egyptians should not see this as an unusual request. They do it all the time for their false gods. But the Pharaoh would have no part of this. His barbarous and vindictive response brings more evil upon not only the children of Israel, but also upon Moses and Aaron in this case. He commands Moses and Aaron to get back to their tasks. Since they are Israelites, they are also slaves of Egypt. And the Pharaoh makes no distinction or difference between them or their people. He intimates that Moses and uh, Aaron have made the Israelites an idle people with their words. And as a result, he increases their tasks and makes their burdens more severe. Verses 6 to 9. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick, as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tally of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. Please notice how the enemy, the great adversary, enrages the minds of the wicked against the word of God. Pharaoh calls God's words vain words, or words that are worthless, unprofitable, See how the enemy treats the word of God. He shows disdain and contempt for the Almighty's decree. But what does the Bible say about the word of God or God's words? Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. And then in Psalm 12, 6 we read, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace, of earth, purified seven times. And then in Psalm 119, verse 160, thy word is true from the beginning. And last but not least, Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever.
What about you, dear friends? What do you think of God's words? Do you see them as vain words like the Pharaoh, empty words? Or do you treasure them? Do you read them over and over again? Do you hide them in your heart so that you won't sin against him? Do you allow God's words to light your path so that you don't walk in darkness? Well, I sincerely hope we all do because God places a very high value on his word. In Psalm 138.2, we read, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And to make a case for the ordinary man, a man is never more dishonored than to have someone tell him that they don't believe what he is telling. And so the taskmasters faithfully carried out the Pharaoh's command telling the officers of the people that they must produce the same amount of bricks, but that now they must also find the straw for these bricks themselves. And so we see in verse 12 of that chapter that the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. All of Egypt soon learned of the severity and harshness with which the Pharaoh ruled. And many Egyptians, perhaps even themselves, may have felt pity for the Hebrew slaves who were put to such shame and hurt. They, after all, that is the Israelites, had not been a rebellious people. Their slave labor had built many magnificent monuments for the Pharaoh and Pharaohs and added much wealth to the coffers of Egypt. The unreasonableness of their punishment may have even caused the Egyptian people themselves to disapprove of the king's methods and treatment of these slaves. But there would be no reprieve. Slavery is man's most wicked demonstration of rebellion to God who created all men to be equal and to be free to worship him. But the officers, those among the heads of the tribes of Israel, who were the liaisons, so to speak, between the people and the taskmasters, they, the officers, were treated most harshly and beaten most severely. And when they came to plead their case, hoping for some mercy and leniency, they instead were cruelly rebuked by the Pharaoh and further accused of idleness in verse 17. Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore you say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the tally of bricks. Dear friends, We cannot possibly imagine the despair and the hopelessness of these Hebrew slaves. 
how they must have suffered and agonized and wept and begged for mercy from their taskmasters, but to no avail. What impossible conditions they had to endure, and none, none was exempted. Neither nursing mothers, nor the sick, nor the aged, every last one of them had to toe the line, so to speak. Slavery makes no allowances for the weak or the sick. And so the officers met Moses and Aaron, we are told in verse 20, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And the officers unleashed their anger at Moses and Aaron for their evil circumstances, mistakenly blaming them for their misery instead of the real perpetrators of this wickedness. Verse 21. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. The officers accused Moses and Aaron unjustly for their hardships. And yet they ought to have sought advice and counsel as to what to do next instead. They had been previously shown irrefutable evidence that God had sent both Moses and Aaron to deliver them from their slavery. They had previously been convinced of the matter and rejoiced and worshipped God for hearing their cries of affliction. But now, because of this setback, they, while in a state of panic, did what all of us would do. They lost their focus and heart and began to blame the wrong people. Instead, they ought to have humbly appealed to Moses and Aaron, seeking what to do next and not have attacked their best friends and instruments of their deliverance. They charge that God will see all of this misery, so to speak, and judge Moses and Aaron for bringing it upon their people. You, Moses and Aaron, will be the death of us yet. I don't think any of us can really imagine how awful Moses and Aaron must have felt after this. Nevertheless, those who serve God in the front lines must always expect to draw the most severe blows, and often those blows may come from friends rather than from foes. Those are absolutely the most difficult to deal with because they have a tendency to tear our souls apart and totally defeat us. But that is how the enemy works. He divides and then he conquers. But notice, please, that Moses does the right thing here in verse 22. He seeks counsel from the one who knows how everything is going to play out and who sent him in the first place is God. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? 
Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. The intimacy with which Moses addresses God should be a pattern for each of us here this morning. If we are truly his, then we should be able to approach him in like manner, not withholding anything from him, even our feelings of blame. For how else shall we be corrected and encouraged to carry on? And sometimes we must accept the fact that God does not explain all the details, and we will not understand his approach to the matter either. But what is and should be of paramount importance is our unfeigned faith in him and his word. And what he has promised to do will be done. And so Moses here pours out his grief and his fears of failure to the Lord. Why have you sent me? Since I arrived on the scene, things have only gotten worse. Pharaoh has unleashed untold evil and suffering on my people. They thought that I would somehow deliver them from all of Egypt, but instead they now blame me for their worsened conditions. You see, Moses did something here that all of us are prone to do when faced with unexpected setbacks. He took his eyes off the Lord and his promise and turned them on himself and his failure to accomplish his task. Peter did much the same thing as well in Matthew 14, 28 to 31. And Peter asked him, answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began or beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And that is our big problem, isn't it? We tend to doubt ourselves, and rightly so. But however, we should never doubt the Lord and his promises. And so we come to the end of our text for this morning. A short chapter, yet a very significant one nonetheless, and Lord willing, we'll continue with chapter 6 of this fine book in one of our next messages sometime in the future. But before I step down from this platform, as always, I must ask you this. Where have you placed your faith? Have you placed it on things or in yourself to get things accomplished? Or have you placed it in the person of Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So many today are so preoccupied with the cares of the world and have given little thought for the things of eternity. We all know that this life is but a vapor, as the Bible says, and yet we devote a third or more of our lifetime studying and preparing for our future here. But eternity is never ending. So let me ask you this question again. How have you prepared for eternity? Have you trusted Christ, who is the only one who gives eternal life, or have you not? He is the only one who paid in full your penalty and my penalty for sin by going to that cross at Calvary and shedding his pure, sinless, undefiled blood for us. There is no other way. There is no other Savior. None but Christ can save you. And it's God's free gift of salvation and must be received by faith. For by grace, we are told, are ye saved through faith? That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this story of Moses and Aaron in Egypt confronting the powers of darkness in the form of Pharaoh and his emissaries. But Lord, though there was a setback here for Aaron and Moses, we know the end of the story. There is victory around the corner as there will be victory for all those who have trusted Christ to be their victor and Savior. And so this morning, Father, we ask thy richest blessings upon each and every one who was here this morning, that thou might be pleased to keep us from evil and from sin's ways and protect us from the things that we cannot protect ourselves from. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us around his table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen.